Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. God's blessings are like a river. They fill the city of God with joy. That city is the holy place where the Most High God lives. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now at an off-site campus or on the internet or in the chapel, the warehouse here at Long Point. Uh, we're glad that you guys are along too. What a great, beautiful morning. Hasn't decided whether it is winter, summer, fall, or spring yet, but it will at some point. I'll guarantee you that. Hey, listen, we plant churches here. You guys know that. Part of everything that you give goes toward planting life-giving churches because we believe that every community in the world needs, deserves, wants a life-giving church. Would you agree with that? And yeah. So this weekend, we've got three of them. I've got two of them here on the board. Um, uh, there's a brand new church this weekend, Carolina Family Church in Salisbury, North Carolina. You know anybody in that area? Uh, you might want to tell them about uh, John and Jess Allen at Carolina Family Church. And then we've got um, Gabe and Summer George. Some of you grew up listening to Gospel Bill Willie George. That's his son. Uh, some of you have no idea what that is. That's fine. Um, Horizon Church in Pasadena, California. And uh, that starts this weekend. Then we've got another one that I don't have on the uh, board, but it's O2 Church in Taranga, New Zealand. Okay? And uh, that's our first arc plant in New Zealand. It's exciting. We've got several in Australia, but that's the first one in New Zealand. And that's kind of exciting. Kind of exciting. So uh, you be thinking about that. If you know anybody, uh, let them know. And it also, people ask me all the time, so how do I know where we have ARC churches? ARCchurches.com. Say that together. ARCchurches.com. There's a place on there called Find a Church, and you can find any community that we have. Well, th these churches are number uh, 666, which is unfortunate that that's the number of that church. But we always give them a number. We give them a little plaque with a number, and they're all proud of that. Ark Church number 666, 667, and 668. So you pray for 666. All right, that's the first one on the list. Would you guys agree with me that we're bombarded by requests for resources these days? It can be overwhelming. In fact, how do you respond? You know, I... Uh, you're at the checkout stand, you know, at the at the grocery store, Walmart, where we are, and uh, they come up with the bill, and then they ask you point blank, "Would you like to add one dollar to the bill for you know homeless vets or something like that?" How do you respond? What do you do? No, there we go. No, no. <laughs> Let me tell you how I respond. I look around, see if there are any other sea coasters in line before I say. No, you know, or uh, yeah, there's all kind of, you know, I mean, the firemen with the boot. I, there are firemen here. I love it. I always give. But after I've given once or twice and there's still boots and you just feel guilty and you just kind of look down as you drive past, you know, that type of thing. Or how about the commercials on TV, you know, in the arms of the angels. And you got the dog with big eyes, you know, and 
Sarah McLaughlin singing and you feel like I ought to be shelling out. I heard a funny story today. I won't say who it is, but <laughs> somebody here in our somebody here in our service today has a grandson that went door to door and knocked on the door of somebody else who's in our service today. And um, they were collecting funds, him and his little buddy, for an animal shelter. And uh, so the person said, no, I'm not going to give. Grandma and Grandpa asked, what animal shelter? Well, there wasn't one, but they were making (laughs) 50% each on, you know, whatever they got. It was pure profit. It was what, you (laughs) thinking, wow. And it reminded me of a story. It has nothing to do with anything, but it's a good story. We moved here uh, several years ago. We lived in Somerville. And my two boys, Jason and Josh, they must have been about seven and eight years old, found some stray puppies in the woods behind our house. Next thing you know, they've got made them a little sign. They've got puppies in a wagon, and they're going door to door selling dogs to our neighbors. They sold all four dogs, you know, as whatever. But anyway, so you've got, you know, I, I've found some panhandler signs. You've seen this, you know, hungry, need help, God bless. Put the God bless, and it kind of gets to your heart. And then you've got this one, let's do lunch, you buy. <laughs> How about this one? My Lexus needs a tune-up. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But anyway, you know, we have, we have so much. And then we ask you for imagined commitments, by the way. If you want to do that, that'd be great. We need it desperately. I'll tell you how desperately in a week or two. But anyway, it depends on how we do. But so, so sometimes we are so overwhelmed with what's called compassion fatigue. They define that as becoming indifferent and not even feeling legitimate needs because of the sheer volume of the requests. Now, if anybody was susceptible to that, it would have been Jesus and his disciples because they were always around people with needs. Somebody always had their hand out. And today what we're gonna do is we're gonna study a miracle from the New Testament. You guys been reading a year in the Word, you know, and you read, you know, in the Old Testament, New Testament, and you're in, what, what are we in now? We're in uh, Ecclesiastes. Uh, yeah, I'll help you through that during this message a little bit. And, uh, and so what I want to do is I want to take a look at a miracle uh, in, the, uh, in the New Testament that began with an, uh, an untimely interruption. In fact, a lot of times Jesus' miracles were the result of an untimely interruption. He lived a lifestyle where he was able to handle that. You know, the woman that touched the hem of his garment while he was going somewhere else and stopped the whole parade or, or during funeral processions or uh, he's interrupted during a message by unruly kids and, and makes a point. Well, this time he's interrupted by a hungry and probably and possibly uh, irritable uh, crowd. And uh, it's called the feeding of the What? Let's try that again. The feeding of the 5,000, and it was found in Matthew chapter 14. You read that at the very beginning of the week, back last Sunday, I think it was, Matthew 14, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, did anybody notice that there was also a feeding of 4,000? Anybody notice that? You go, what's up with that? I mean, here it's 5,000, here it's 4,000. I want to give you a real quick geography lesson. It's going to bore the living daylights out of some of you, but some of you are going to be so excited because you're wired up correctly like I am, and you want to know the answers to those questions. Let me, let me show you real quick, all right, what was going on there. This is Israel, okay, Israel during Jesus' time. Uh, to give you a little locations here, here's Jerusalem right here. 
Here's the Dead Sea. We go to Israel. We're going to go again uh, later this year, I believe. So we'll, we'll have some more information about that. But the Dead Sea, you float. You can float in the Dead Sea. It's an incredible thing. There's all salt. There's no life in it. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. And uh, you've got the Jordan River right here. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And then you've got the Sea of Galilee. Have you heard of the Sea of Galilee? Do you know how big the Sea of Galilee is? Anybody ever been to Lake Moultrie? Okay, three people have been to Lake Moultrie. It's right up here by Monk's Corner. Okay. So Lake Moultrie is three times bigger than the Sea of Galilee. Okay? It's just a lake. It's just a lake. Why do they call it a sea? I have no idea. It's just a lake. But Jesus' ministry, most of it, 90-some percent of it, took place right up here within two or three miles on the top of the Sea of Galilee. The feeding of the 5,000 was right up here on this side of the Jordan River. Jordan River runs all the way through there. In this purple, can you see the purple area? The purple area was ruled by a guy named Herod Antipath. Herod Antipath. And the purple area was all Jews, basically all Jewish people. And uh, Jesus does his miracle there, and we know, I'm giving away the whole story, I'm gonna preach on the whole story, but pretend like you didn't hear this. Well, you read it, you know. How, how, many, how many baskets of food was left over at the feeding of the 5,000? Real quick quiz. How many, how many baskets? 12, right? 12, okay. Why 12? Well, it's symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus was able to feed not only that crowd, but he had more than enough to feed all the Jews. Now, in Matthew 15, which is the next passage that you guys read, uh, immediately he comes on to a Gentile woman. Do you know what Gentiles are? It's most of us. Okay, it's anybody that's not Jewish, it's Gentile. And he comes to a Gentile woman who wants to be healed or daughter healed. Or, and Jesus ignores her and the disciples say, why are you ignoring her? Just do something. And he says, well, my job is to the Jews first right now. That's what I'm supposed, that's what the Father told me. But this woman is so persistent that Jesus finally says, what? She says, I haven't find, found faith like this in all of Israel. And he goes ahead and gives her a request and because of that, huge crowds gather, and he feeds how many? 4,000. Now, that happened not here, but that happened over here. Okay, I'll tell you why he went over here in just a minute. It's in the text we're going to read. But he went over here, and this area here is a, uh, it's a Gentile area. It's, it's not a Jewish area. In fact, if you looked at a current map, that would be Syria. You read about Syria in the news. Well, that's right here. Jordan is right here. It's a Gentile area. Now, Feeding of the 4,000, how much food was left over? <laughs> Listen, you learned in Baptist Sunday School all about 12, you know, 12 baskets. But the second one, there were seven baskets left over. Why seven? Well, I don't know, but here's one possible reason. In this area, there were seven Gentile nations. And so it's symbolic of over here, there's enough food to feed all of Israel. And over here, there's enough to feed all of the Gentile nations. And that's good news because that means there's more than enough for us. Okay? There's your geography lesson right there. All right? Is that good? Give me a hand. All right. There we go. So, so what I want to talk to you about are some lessons from a hungry mob. I want to give you three things and then some, some kind of sub-ideas uh, to it of what we can learn from uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Here, here's the first thing. It's this. I think it's this. There it is. Compassion will sometimes cause you to be inconvenienced because of the needs of the crowd. 
compassion will sometimes cause you to be inconvenienced because of the needs of the crowd. Let's take a look at this. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, what had happened? Jesus heard what had happened. What had happened? Anybody know what had happened? Let me tell you what had happened. Remember Herod Antipath that I just talked to you about in the little geography lesson? Herod had just killed John the Baptist. Remember reading that? If you were reading along in Matthew 13, beheaded him. It was a terrible scene. Killed John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. Jesus knows who he is. And because of that, of what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Why? It's grieving. It's grieving. You know, Jesus had emotions, feelings, just like we have. So he withdraws to a private place to grieve, to grieve. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. How did they know? Because they saw the boats. I mean, it's just like, it's just a fairly small lake. And they can see the boat going out here, and Jesus is there, and he's doing great things, and we have needs, and we don't care whether he needs to get away. We have no idea what his own issues are, but they followed him to the private place. It's an untimely interruption. He needs time away. He needs time to grieve. But here are these huge, huge crowds, and it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed they're sick. Do you ever feel like if one more person asked me for one more thing or asked me for something that they need from me or help or interrupts me today, I'm going to lose it. And then, and then you wonder, why don't I care about my kids as much as I used to? Why don't, why don't I care about the people at work as much as I used to. Why don't I care about all of these requests that we talked about at the very beginning of the message as much as I used to? If I have another interruption, I'm gonna lose my mind. Well, these are symptoms of something you know, called compassion fatigue. In fact, those that study it uh, say that some of the causes of compassion fatigue, especially in the workplace, is working too much or maybe working in an area where you don't have necessarily skills there for the long haul. You just kind of started doing something because it was available, and as you got on, it's kind of not what you're wired up to do. It's okay to do that for a while, but when you do it for a long time, it can just drain you, drain you, drain you. Or it's, it's dealing with other people's problems all day long. If you're a nurse, my, my daughter is a nurse, plus she has four children, plus she's living with me right now. They're getting a new house this weekend, praise God. But anyway, so, but I mean, in the nursing industry, you're constantly dealing with other people's, I know in counseling, a lot of counselors deal with dealing with other people's problems, or if you're a, a mother, especially with small kids all, all, all day long, it causes compassion fatigue. And Jesus models for us, I think, in, in just this first idea, an anti-compassion fatigue lifestyle. An untimely interruption. He needs to grieve. He needs to get away. And yet, here's this huge crowd, and he sees him, and he's moved with compassion. And you and I would be moved with maybe anger, or moved with, don't they even care about me? 
Don't they even know what's going on over here? Usually they don't. You know, a lot of times you think that somebody that says something about you or tugs on you or whatever, they, they don't care about your, they, they don't know about your needs. They don't know about your needs. And Jesus sees this, and rather than being angry or turning it inward, he, he's moved with compassion. Let me give you three things real quick just in this, and you may be there. Some of you are there today. This will, this will help you with this. His lifestyle. Here, here's what you do when you're feeling those things. Take regular timeouts, okay? Take a break. This isn't the only time Jesus pulls away. In fact, if you study his life, you see him very, very regularly pulling away, going to spend time with his father. You know, that's one of the, that's one of the cool things about this year in the Word. And if you haven't started it, join us today. Download the Seacoast app. Just go to the app store, look for Seacoast Church, download it, and there's year in the Word right there. Start right where you are. You don't have to go back and make up a bunch of stuff. But one of the cool things is it's disciplining us to make a habit of getting away. You know, whether that's in your car, turning off the radio, do you do that? And listen, I do that sometimes. You just listen to the scriptures for the day and then just pray a little bit. Or sometimes it's going to a chair, a special place, a room or whatever. It's re-energizing, refreshing. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what you've got to learn how to do. Get away. Sometimes it's just a daily getaway. Sometimes it's, you see Jesus breaking away and taking the guys fishing. Hey guys, I'll cook breakfast. I'll cook breakfast. You guys fish, breaking away. So many needs, and yet he knew he had to get away. And you've got to do that. You've got to take a weekend away periodically, uh, bump a vacation every once in a while, take regular timeouts, tap into God's power. That's the second thing you do. Tap into God's power. Jesus would tap into the power. Everything he did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see him as God. He's God. Yes, he is, but he's all man, and he knows his need for the power of the Holy Spirit, and so do you. So take time just to tap into God's power. And then the third thing we see is, is uh, if you're dealing with kind of this compassion fatigue, um, reset your pace. Reset your pace. Dr. Cooper, who was the grandfather of aerobics, the Cooper Clinic, and was often asked about, you know, what's the best exercise for, uh, for you know, aerobic uh, fitness? And uh, he would talk about walking. And people would ask him, what is the optimum pace? And here's what he said. Walking fast enough to accelerate your heart rate, but slow enough to maintain a conversation. Fast enough to accelerate your heart rate, but slow enough to maintain a conversation. That was profound to me. I look at Jesus and I say, that's his lifestyle. Fast enough to do what he needs to do and all of that, but slow enough that interruptions, because he's taken timeouts regularly, he needed this timeout, but he could do okay because he hadn't skipped five or six timeouts before that. Fast enough to keep the heart rate going, but slow enough to, to maintain conversations. So the first lesson I would say is compassion will sometimes cause you to be inconvenience because of the needs of the crowd. We need to kind of check our compassion level. Where is it at? Maybe you could check that. Where am I at on compassion? Maybe there are some things that I need to do. Here's the second thing I see there. A crisis will oftentimes compel you to jump to the wrong conclusions. A crisis will oftentimes compel you to jump to the wrong conclusions. Let's see how it works out in their situation. Verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, 
This is a remote place. It's true. Their assessment is true. It's a remote place. And it's already getting late. That's true too. So send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Here's what I would say, and as we look into it, we see why, but their assessment was correct, but their remedy was wrong. Their conclusion was wrong. Send the people away. And you know, sometimes when you face a crisis, sometimes you'll get the, the assessment right, we're in a crisis, we have a problem, but where the real problem comes is when you jump to the wrong conclusion. Has anybody ever done that? I can remember uh, many years ago when we were still living in Denver, Colorado. I was about 18 years old, and my parents were gonna sell our house. In fact, I, I thought they were selling our house so that they could move to another house in Denver, but what actually happened is they, um, I, I graduated from high school, my band went, played six weeks in Chicago, we'd play four nights a week, and my parents sold the house and moved to another state while I was gone and didn't leave a forwarding address. And so that's really, I mean, that's almost true. I mean, most of it's true. I, they did, Dad did call me and say, hey, son, we moved. <laughs> and I went back to my old house. What a bummer when you go in and there are people there that you didn't know living in your room, you know. But anyway, they were trying to sell the house, and so they painted the whole thing and uh, put down new carpet. Now, new carpet, this will take you back. It was orange shag carpet. You remember those days? Brand new orange shag and brand new paint. Mom and dad are going to do a work night at the church, and they left me and my girlfriend at the time, Debbie, who became my wife, to babysit my two-year-old brother, 16 years younger than me, two-year-old brother. Well, for whatever reason, we weren't watching as closely as we should, and he went into my parents' bedroom, actually, and found in their closet three-quarters of a can of paint. And he dumped that whole can on that brand-new carpet. Now, I went back and assessed that we had a problem. I didn't know what to do. I had never cleaned up anything in my life. My mother uh, did not raise me properly. Let me just say that. She cleaned up after me. And all. I had no idea what to do. So I called Dad. There's not cell phones at that time. I had to get, catch him at the church. And I explained what had happened. I said, Dad, what should we do? And my father, being as calm as he was, said this. Well, you might as well rip it up and burn it. That's what he said and hung up the phone. And I thought, we have a problem. I'm 18, but dad can still administer corporal punishment, which he did. I don't know. Don't write notes about that. I'm still in recovery. But anyway, so, so, what, so what I did was I thought, we got to do something. We got to do something. We have a problem. We have a crisis. We got to do something. And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought, you know what? Mom always uses pine saw. Whenever there's a problem to clean up, mom uses pine saw. So I got a big bottle of pine saw like this, went in and dumped the whole thing onto the stuff. About that time, my dad comes bursting into the house. Dad knows that the paint is water-soluble. And so we just put a bunch of water on that. And you know what? Here's the good news. The water took all of the paint out of the carpet. That's great. The not as good of news is that the pine saw took all the color out of the carpet that was underneath the water. And so we had orange and white carpet, okay? So the point, that's a great story, but the point of the deal is this. Oftentimes when you've got a crisis, you assess the crisis properly, but that's not enough. 
You can jump to wrong conclusions. And you may be facing a crisis right now and you're tempted to jump to wrong conclusions. It could be a crisis in your marriage. There's something going on. And, and you're right, there is. But your, your, your conclusion will be worse than the problem right now. Or it could be in your family or in your business or in your personal life or in your finances. You've got a problem. It's true. But the solution that you're getting ready to take, let's just refinance, could be worse than the problem itself and leave you worse off. Now, the disciples, here's, here's what they did wrong. They told Jesus what to do rather than asking him, where is it God at work in this situation? See? He say, they said, you know what? The best we can do is send them away. Here's, here's a truth that this may be the, the only thing you need to know in the whole message today. But let me tell you this. You may be in a crisis, but God is not limited by your options. You say, we have limited options. We've only got a few options here. And you might, and most of them might be bad. But God is not limited by your options. Rather than telling him what you're going to do, why not ask him to open your eyes to where he's already at work? And as you'll find out, God is already at work on the solution before you even know there's a problem. Do you think it was a surprise to God that there are 5,000 men? There's actually, it's families. There's probably 15,000 people there. Do you think it's a surprise to God that it's dinner time, people need to eat, there's 15,000 people? Oh my, my bad, I didn't see that coming. No, God was already at work on a solution before they even knew there was a problem. Did you know in your situation right now, whatever it is, that God is already at work on a solution before you even knew that there was a problem, and we'll talk to you about that in our kind of in the in the in the next point. But they sought to resolve the crisis from their perspective when they should have gotten God's perspective. Where's God at work? And so, and so we need to ask, where's God at work in our in our crisis? And so that leads me to kind of the third thing. First two things are compassion will sometimes cause you to be inconvenienced because of the needs of the crowd. Check your heart. A crisis will often compel you to jump to the wrong conclusions. And let me give you the third thought from here. That's an impossible circumstance as an invitation from God to participate in a miracle. An impossible circumstance. Theirs was, got a lot of people, no food, what are we gonna do? It's, it's an invitation to participate in a miracle. Look what Jesus said. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Can you imagine the disciples? Oh, that really makes a lot of sense, Jesus. Good answer, Jesus. Good answer. Look what they said. This is in Mark. Now, we were studying Matthew. Here's another thought on this. Did you know that, you know how the Gospels work? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are all four of the stories of Jesus. They're written by four different people from four different perspectives. That's why they don't all have the same stories. And sometimes even the same stories have different kind of reflection on them. One of them's written to Jews. One of them's written to Gentiles. Different types of people, right? There's only one miracle that appears in all four Gospels, and it's this one right here. So it must be pretty important. That's why I thought I'd preach on it this week. So, so in Mark's version of it, here's what they said. They said to him, <clears throat> We feed them, that would take more than a half year's wages. Just add up, how much do you make? Half year of that. Are, are, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? We can't afford to pay the, 
caterer, they're saying to Jesus, no way. Now, here's three things you should never underestimate in a crisis. Three things you should never underestimate. Don't underestimate the abilities of people around you. If you're in a crisis, don't underestimate the ability of people around you. Look at the next verse. This is from John. Andrew, Simon, people's, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, well, here's a boy. You know the story. They went through the crowd trying to figure out, okay, what do we do now? Nobody comes up with anything. Nobody's wanting to give their food away. And Andrew says, well, we got a boy here. I can't imagine him saying, oh, Jesus, we got the solution. We have got a boy. No, it's kind of, kind of it, that's all we got is a boy. He's got a little lunch. He went to Chick-fil-A, Christian chicken, brought a lunch. That's all he's got. Got a little bit. I don't know what we're going to do with that. You always, under, in a crisis, you will tend to always underestimate the people around you. And here's a fact. If you're in a crisis in your marriage, in your business, your finances, employee, at school, whatever it happens to be, God always plants somebody. There's always a boy. There's always a girl. There's always a man. There's always a woman. There's always somebody, a mom, a dad, an aunt, another. There is somebody that God plants. Because remember what I said, your crisis isn't a surprise to God. He's at work on a solution. He has been at work on a solution. It almost always involves people, okay? I love this verse. This verse you read just a few days ago from Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And what that means to me, when my eyes were opened up on it, it means that, you know what? When I've got a crisis in my life, if I will look around, in fact, you can look around, even right here in the church, or you can look around in your small group, or you can look around in your neighborhood, look around in your work situation. God has planted somebody who one of their purposes in life, they were born they were born, the Bible says, to be a friend to you in times of adversity. I can remember several times over the last two or three years when I've had people that have come to me in crisis and I have looked them in the eye, and, and, and they say this, they say, I am so sorry to interrupt your life. I am so sorry to dump this on you. I am so sorry that we've got to do this. You know, real apologetic, but... And here's what I'll do. I'll do a timeout and say, you know what? Timeout, just a minute. And this isn't everybody, but this is, I know when this happens. Timeout, timeout, timeout. One of the reasons I was born, before the foundations of the earth, God knew you would be facing this issue because of the choices that you've made or somebody else has made or whatever. God knew that you would be facing this. And so he created me to be here in your life at this point. I was born to be a friend in adversity. And, I, and I'm telling you the same thing. You were born to be a friend in adversity to somebody around you. Open your eyes. That's why it's so important that we kind of control our compassion levels so that we're able to respond properly when God brings somebody into our life with an interruption, okay? Uh, but but that you were born, and there, if you're in a crisis right now, don't do it alone. There are people who are near you that God placed there. Don't underestimate the people that are around you in a crisis, okay? Here's the second thing that you don't underestimate. Don't underestimate the potential of what you have in your own hands. Don't underestimate the potential. So, so they asked, so, so we found a boy, and then the disciples in Matthew 14, 17 said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Here it is. 
We got it right here. Five, these are old enough. That's, so one, two, three, four, five, and uh, two fish we've got. Star Kiss, Chunk Light, and anchovies. I had a youth pastor told me that, did you know that you can feed a hundred teenagers on just two, two pizzas, two pizzas, if you get enough anchovies on it. Okay? So here's the question. It didn't seem like much, did it? I mean, what would you have done? That's all we got. Here's the question. How did the miracle happen? Did it happen in the bag? Whoa, look at all that food. I don't know how it happened. But here's how I do know. I, I do know this, that when they took it out and they gave it to Jesus, when it passed through their hands, a miracle happened. As long as it was in the bag, it was just five loaves and two fishes. But when, they, when it passed through their hands to Jesus, it became a miracle. A miracle. And so... As long as what you have stays in your hands, it will never be any more than it already is. It only becomes a miracle when you give it to Jesus. I, uh, every once in a while, I'll go to the Chick-fil-A Christian Chicken, and I'll tell you what my, I'll tell you what my, yeah, they're not open today, so don't worry about it. I, I'll tell you what my, my grandkids love there is waffle fries. You know what I'm talking about? Waffle fries. They're terrible for you, but they're great. And so here's what I'll do. I'll buy the kids waffle fries, and I'm teaching my kids stewardship. And so I'm teaching them to tithe. And so I'll say, Papa would like one waffle fries from each one of you. I do it. That's what I do. I'm, my, my wife will tell you I do that, teaching them stewardship out of time. And some of them are so generous. And you know what I want to do with the generous ones? Let me buy you some more waffle fries. Let me just multiply those waffle fries. A couple of them. I'm not going to mention names right now. <laughs> they hang on to those little waffles. No, no. And here's what I think. You better like that one because you ain't getting any more. <laughs> okay? And I have the resources in my pocket right now to bury you in waffle fries. <laughs> okay? If I wanted to, I could literally suffocate you in waffle fries right now and you are holding your little fry like this, saying, I'm not going to give you one. What's that a picture of? It's God. All of our resources are his. What do you have in your hand? Are you willing to put it into God's hands? Because as long as it's in your little bag, it's always going to be what it is. But if you'll just say, God, everything that I have is yours. Help me to be generous. Here's the third thing. About this whole deal is that don't underestimate the power of God in your situation. <laughs> Think about this. Okay, go back to the first verse we read that Jesus was trying to get away, right? Remember that? Because John the Baptist had died. Now, I was going to tell you, why did he get all the way over to Syria and do this again in the Syria area? It's because he was getting out of Herod Antipath out of his territory, because Herod was the one that killed John the Baptist, and it wasn't time for Jesus, so he goes over into the Gentile area, and that's why we have the two feeding of the 
four and the five thousand. But in the very beginning of this, this passage, it said he tried to get away, but he couldn't because people came and he had compassion on them. He had com- compassion. He had compassion on them. And it says, then it says what? Before he ever fed anybody, he did what? He healed everybody, right? He's healing everybody. So think about the disciples. Jesus has been healing people all morning long. And they're worried about lunch. What are we going to do for lunch? What are we going to do for lunch? What are we going to do? He's healing people. We underestimate the power of God in our situation. What are you underestimating the power of God in your situation? See, if there is no God, then life is meaningless. Have you been reading Ecclesiastes? What's that all about? That's about a backslidden guy who got everything, rejected God, and then is just writing it down. Yeah, you know, it's all meaningless, it's all meaningless, it's all meaningless, until he gets to the end. And he says, you know what? In life, there's only one or two things that matter, and that's to serve God and know God, and this to enjoy your work. And if, and, and if there is no God, then life is meaningless and you're on your own. But if there is a God, then anything is possible. In fact, Jesus, in a passage you're gonna read, well, I already did that, whatever. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, there we go. Okay, here we go. You're gonna read this passage on Tuesday, Matthew 19, 26. It says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So what do you need for God to make the impossible possible? Is it in your marriage? Is there a crisis? And you're getting ready to jump to the wrong conclusion. Well, let's just break it up. Let's just, maybe somebody else will show me more attention and better. Maybe somebody else will be a better those are all, mm-mm. no, that's, that's headed for some hurt. Where do you need God to make the impossible possible? Is it in your family? Is it in your business? Is it in your finances? See, impossible circumstances are an invitation from God to participate in a miracle. Don't underestimate the people around you. There's people around you right now that God's planted that are there to help you through your current crisis. Don't underestimate what's in your own hand. If you'll just give it to God, he can multiply it. Don't underestimate the power of God. Let's bow for closing prayer. As we bow here and across the campuses, I want to take just a minute. Every every head's bowed here. Just don't be looking around. Let's just take a moment just to kind of close ourselves in and just kind of concentrate on maybe what God may be saying to us. You know, the very first step into the life that God wants for you is connecting to the power of God. It's becoming a part of God's family. There are some of us here in the campuses that maybe maybe you feel really, really distant from God right now. You may be here in church because of a crisis that's recently happened in your life. Congratulations. God was at work on your solution before you even knew there was a problem. 
And what I want to do is I just want to help connect you to the source of power. Maybe you've never stepped into a living relationship with God. Or, or maybe it's been a long, long time and there was a time where you felt like you were walking with God and you're not now. Well, today can be your day. This can be a miracle for you as God does a transformative work in your heart and in your life. If you say, Pastor Greg, I want you to pray for me today. I, I want to commit my life to God. Maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. Would you just lift your hand right now just real quickly? Just lift your hand up. we do that? Okay. Lift your hand. Lift your hand. I'm, I'm looking into the right-hand section. Just lift your hand. Would you do that? Okay. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Sweeping across the congregation in the, the section over here. Okay. Would you just lift your hand in the center, center section? Okay. Good. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Over in the, the left-hand section, would you just lift your hand up? Okay. All right. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for everybody in this room. God, I thank you right now. For those who are acknowledging today, in this moment, a need to say yes to you, to connect with the source of power, some for the very first time, some for the first time in a long time. We're just saying to you, we want to be a part of your family, God. We recognize that on our own, it's not working. We thank you for Jesus Christ who died for us. God, I pray now that by your Holy Spirit that you would cement the work that has begun in our lives. God, I pray also for those that maybe they're just in a, in a place where there's a crisis and we need to connect to your power or we just need to trust you in an area in our marriage, finances, work. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.